This is The Guardian. Today, Imran Khan says he's on a mission to save Pakistan. So why is the country in chaos? Pakistani journalist Yusra Askari was in Karachi. Noshin, what we saw was fear, uncertainty and disbelief. We saw protesters throng the streets, burn down public property, uh, torch cars, torch buses, and people watched from their homes absolutely aghast. Protesters targeted the army. They faced up to soldiers and, for the first time in the country's history, ordinary Pakistani people directly challenged the most powerful institution in the land. As a result, the government shut down the internet. The Pakistan Telecommunication Authority did issue directives to slow down uh, the internet and particularly social media and networking sites were pulled down to ensure that there wasn't a propagation of the message of the protesters calls to protest were being countered. After two days of utter chaos, Khan was released by the Supreme Court. We saw hordes of people thronging behind him, accompanying him down the motorway all the way from Islamabad to Lahore. And we saw absolute euphoria amongst the crowds. 
On Wednesday, as he tweeted about his fear of re-arrest, dozens of police fans surrounded his home in Lahore. This is an unprecedented moment in Pakistan's history. A general election is due in October. The country is in a severe economic crisis. And its most popular politician is waging an audacious war, not just against the opposition government, but against Pakistan's army. Khan has accused the top brass of plotting against him. The army denies it, but it has declared that it will try Khan's supporters, thousands of civilians accused of arson and violence in the last week, in military courts. A move that breaches international law. We see this entire war being waged on the internet, on our TV screens. And I think for Pakistan, relief would be to see the two sides sit across the table and talk out their differences and try to hash out some kind of solution. We're struggling with economic distress, with fiscal distress, and I think this is just the icing on the cake. It just makes matters worse. From The Guardian, I'm Noshin Iqbal. Today in Focus, can Imran Khan really take on the Pakistani army and win? Mohammad Hanif, you're an author and journalist from Pakistan. You've also served as a pilot in the Pakistan Air Force. And yours is often the first bit of analysis that I look for when I'm trying to understand what's happening in the country. Now, Imran Khan has more than 100 cases filed against him in the courts. He is facing charges ranging from corruption to even terrorism. Now, some observers might say that all of this, including his dramatic arrest last week, is because political opponents want him out of the picture ahead of Pakistan's next elections. Can you explain what's going on? The last few months, uh, the police had been trying to arrest uh, Imran Khan. Uh, They'd gone to his residence, there was resistance, and they were pushed back. They obviously want him uh, locked up because uh, elections are coming up. He's the runaway favourite. He's he's runaway favourite. So the only way to tackle him is to kind of charge him with something that will either disqualify him for mm. the elections, like they did with the with the last uh, Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif. Pakistan's Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif has resigned after the country's Supreme Court unanimously ruled that he should be disqualified over corruption allegations. Well, the ruling follows. So they're trying to use the same playbook. But Khan is uh, no Nawaz Sharif. And he'd always threatened that if you arrest me, people will come out in the streets. Then he had uh, his supporters who were always kind of surrounding him. So it was very difficult to physically uh, get to him or mm. to kind of serve him. Uh, arrest warrants. So he was uh, in the court for a bail hearing. That's when the rangers, they kind of swooped on him. And uh, and those images were quite striking. There was an outpouring of public support for Imran Khan. Can you tell me what shape that took and describe how it unfolded after his arrest? There were protests all across Pakistan. But we've seen protests much bigger than this uh, before. What was different was that these protests were targeted. They were very violent. People confronted the army, which uh, has happened in the past, but not this scale. So Imran Khan has lots of followings. 
But people have always said that his followers are softies. They are from middle classes. They are urban people. They are kind of young, educated people. And the impression always was that they can come out in the streets, but they cannot really confront the state machinery. If they, if one shot is fired, uh, they will disperse. They will run away. They will. Right. And I think that impression has changed. I still remember this image. There's like one single woman. She's standing at the gate of, of this uh, GHQ, which is the most secure, most well-guarded place in Pakistan. And she's rattling that gate. And uh, within minutes, they are inside the premises of the general headquarters and the army has uh, retreated. And similarly, in Lahore, court commander who, let's say, is like one of the top few generals of Pakistan. What protesters did was that they entered his house. They ransacked it. They opened his fridge and ate his food. They wow. stole his uh, peacock. Uh, they took away uh, books, paintings, sofa cushions. So these are like these classic images that you see of a revolution when kind of, you know, ordinary people barge into like a palace or a big man's house and see for the first time that how, these how they people, live, how they live. So I think that is something which has shaken a lot of people. Some people are very joyous. Some people have waited for this for 70 years, although they don't even agree with the with Imran Khan's politics. But they are happy that, okay, finally somebody has done this. And others are very scared. It's a very scary situation because uh, you used to rely on the army for stability. You would think that when politicians are kind of at each other's throats, when no institution is working, then army will step in and you could guarantee that they will make more of a mess in the long run. But at least they could get things done in the sense that, you know, sort of uh, clear, clear the road and kind of, you know, uh, create this false sense of uh, calm and functionality. After Khan was arrested by NAB, the National Bureau of Accountability, he was detained. Two days later, the Supreme Court ruled that his arrest had been illegal. Khan was bailed and released. He is vocal about his fears of being rearrested, and he has directly accused the army chief of pursuing a vendetta against him. It was the army which abducted me, and nothing happens without the permission of the army chief. That's how the army works. Well, let's talk about Pakistan's army for a minute, because Pakistan has been under martial law several times since its founding in 1947. It spent more than three decades under army control. Arguably, it is because Pakistan has been locked in this power struggle with a stronger, bigger, richer India since the very beginning of its inception. Now, this is a fear that the army has always been able to capitalise on, which is why, even under civilian rule, there is this underlying belief that the army could step in and take over if they don't like the way things are going. Hanif, how come the military does have so much power over how the country is run and 
what decisions are made on its future? I think it probably started with geopolitics. They keep reminding us that we are in a bad neighborhood. In the early hours of the 9th of April, they struck in an attempt to dislodge Pakistani forces from their lawfully established posts. The attack was repulsed by Pakistan border forces and the Indians retreated. The national... Look at India, look at Afghanistan. So that's why we need a strong, outsized army for a poor, struggling country like Pakistan. That was the initial logic. But after they tasted power for the first time, they got into this mindset that all civilians, they are not disciplined enough. They are corrupt. They are weak. So they've kind of self-appointed guardians of not only Pakistani borders, physical borders, but they keep saying, and this has almost become one of their mottos, that they're the guardians of Pakistan's ideological frontiers. I will bring back the Islamic values. I will introduce, I will venture for the Islamization of laws. But uh, Pakistan, unfortunately, has one of the lowest income per capita in the world. Yes. Are you advocating that faith will fill their bellies rather than economic measures? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm saying that faith will do half the trick. And then I think somewhere in the 80s, it had been happening before as well, uh, they started to realize that Pakistan is actually quite a good place to make money. So now I don't know very many armies in the world who are into business in such a big way. So they make uh, cereal, breakfast cereals. You can buy meat from them. They are the biggest uh, property developers in the country. 4G Cement, one of the largest cement producers in the country. Wow. You can go to their university run by them. You can buy fertilizer from them. You can open a bank account. Banking like a trouble and face of time that the smart generation wants to stay online. Need to go digital so pakoro tayari ab din ho ya raat rahe banking service jari. You need to go. If you've had a theft at home, you can uh, hire their sniffer dogs to come and solve your crimes. They, every other road or bridge that's built is built by a construction company which is run by Blimey. the army. So now when you have like such well-entrenched business, real economic interests, uh, then obviously nobody wants to let go of those because it's all legal. of the army's relationship with Imran Khan, it is complicated, isn't it? Because it's often said his rise to power came once he gained the support of the army. He was in politics for two decades before he finally became prime minister. And that his downfall too came when he was pushed from office last year after a vote of no confidence. And it came because, as many said, he'd fallen out of favour with the top military brass. Taking on the army has never ended well for anyone, and it looks like Imran Khan learnt it the hard way. Members of Pakistan's parliament are due to decide on Monday who should succeed Imran Khan, who was ousted as prime minister in a late-night confidence vote after he was deserted by coalition partners.
Can you explain why army chiefs are so central to Imran Khan's political success? I think it's only partially correct. Army did uh, facilitate him. I think lots of uh, uh, army officers and their families, don't forget the families, they uh, idealized him because of the obvious reasons that he was probably the most glamorous man they'd seen. Term, you are also known as the world's greatest heartthrob. What is it with you that <laughs> produces this f- fantastic urge for girls to beat a path to your door? I have read more about it, uh, quite a few things in your columns. Um, he was kind of, uh, he partied with rock stars, he hung out with the British royalty. So he was like our own homegrown prince, who at some point in life took a turn that, okay, I've sinned and now I will make up for my sins and I will become a, a righteous, good Muslim who will liberate this country from these corrupt politicians. I came to the realization that the current politicians could not solve the problems, the various problems in our country, mainly because they were the reason for all our problems uh, and that the country needed a new uh, political movement which challenged the status quo. And I think people bought into that myth. So army did, he was as glamorous as to the army as well. So they thought that, oh, finally, we'll have a leader who's like presentable to the world. Just mm-hmm. look at him, how handsome he is. He kind of walks into a room and everybody looks at him. And uh, he talks and he's very well-spoken and he's uh, he's just full of passion. He might be telling you the, the, the kind of the most banal thing in the world, right? But he speaks with such passion that you kind of sit up and you take notice. Despite all that charm and glamour, it didn't last, did it? And now Khan is the seventh Pakistani prime minister to be arrested by the authorities. And it seems almost to be a political rite of passage for the country's leaders. Hanif, how credible do you think the charges against him are? I think to uh, his followers, these charges are obviously uh, completely fake, and they're just Trump they just yeah they're just trying to uh, stop him from coming back to uh, power. Uh, but the problem is, you mentioned that he is the seventh prime minister. Mm. Most of them come into power obviously through a vote, but also with the help of the army, or at least with their tacit approval. And when they start governing, uh, it's almost works like a clockwork. Mm. And after about two years, two and a half years they start taking themselves seriously. You sit in that office and after about two, two and a half years, you start to realize that actually I can't do what I want to do. And invariably they fall out with the army. They're thrown out and then they spend the next few years of their lives going in and out of jails, facing these uh, corruption charges, always corruption charges, always corruption charges. I'm sure some of them are corrupt, but there are other institutions in Pakistan which are equally, if not more corrupt. They never face that kind of uh, accountability. So but it is a bit funny to have that what about you when you're looking at the country's leaders, right? You're hoping at the very least at the top, if we're mm-hmm. top down, it should be mm-hmm. somewhat less corrupt. I think this, this idea of corruption, uh, that's what Imran Khan has been trying to 
sell to his mm. public that we, our main problem is corruption and he is kind of managed to convince themselves that everybody is corrupt except for himself well in imran khan's case he's gone a step further because on sunday he told the guardian that he believes the head of the pakistani army is directly responsible for his arrest and that he holds a personal grudge against him he has previously accused the army and the ISI, Pakistan's intelligence service, of being behind this assassination attempt that saw him shot in the leg last November. Now, politicians in Pakistan have gone up against the military in much less antagonistic terms and, you know, as we've said, found themselves toppled, jailed, exiled or dead. What do you think Khan's game plan is here? How vulnerable is he? he was the one of the most famous uh, cricketers in cricketing history and i think he brings some of those uh, instincts to uh, politics but basically how fast bowlers operate is they operate through aggression and the whole idea is that the batter gets rattled and makes a mistake and then they're out uh, so imran khan is has brought uh, that kind of uh, that kind of aggression to his politics so he's probably realized that they're not as mighty and as powerful and as smart as they pretend to be uh, their force basically comes from the fact that they have guns and civilians don't right they have guns they have tanks they have helicopters they have airplanes so that logic always wins but here he's seen like you know sort of what do you call the chink in the armor that no they have their weaknesses so what he's managed to do is that he's uh, he's managed to cultivate a lot of not just the armed forces people uh, but their families especially women so an officer may or may not like imran khan but in the end of the day he has to go home and meet his wife and his children and invariably that there's a lot of uh, support for imran khan amongst the military ranks so i think imran khan has uh, uh, knows that and he's trying to exploit that support that division so in a way he's found allies amongst his enemies given the direct confrontation he's having with the military now how rattled do you think the pakistani army is and what might they do next I think the the class of people that army is confronting now they are people who were army's supporters mm-hmm. only till a year ago if somebody said anything negative about the army uh, they would come after them now they have whatsapp prayer circles for imran khan every minute they kind of keep updating each other mm. i i was some friend from pakistan was telling me that the day imran khan was arrested uh, there was like no dinner in their house nobody their mom refused to cook right so you have a, a, that kind of dedicated following which has uh, gone up against the army so army probably hasn't seen this class of people coming after them But for all the criticisms that anyone has of Imran Khan doesn't this moment feel slightly exciting and radical that there is this mobilization against the army which is the most powerful institution in Pakistan is Imran Khan really standing up to them no he's acting like uh, one of those uh, jilted lovers you know sort mm. of when you're rejected 
and then right. you almost become a stalker, almost go mad. He doesn't want any structural change. He doesn't want to dismantle armies, businesses. Well, he, to... he doesn't want to take away their power. He just wants to be loved like he was loved till last send year. Them some that, that, that is that is a suspicion. That is a suspicion. Okay. That, that is a criticism. But uh, obviously, anybody standing up to the uh, up to the army in Pakistan is considered like you know sort of a brave and righteous person. Uh, but the suspicion remains that what Imran Khan wants is not a neutral army, not an army which should just stay in barracks and do its job. Imran Khan wants them to come back to him and start loving him again like the, like they did before. Coming up, what would it take for the military to lose some of its power in Pakistan? Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Today, the Prime Minister said these were the worst floods in the country's history. In these satellite images, you can really see the devastation as rivers burst and rains washed away everything from crops to bridges. Any in the last year, even just taking in the news headlines, it's been an incredibly tough time for Pakistan. The floods devastated a third of the country, displaced more than 30 million people. At a time of global food shortages, it's catastrophic. More than two million acres of agricultural land is now underwater. Inflation is running at 36%. The country is desperately hoping for a bailout from the IMF to stop it defaulting on its loans. 
How is all of this affecting the lives of ordinary Pakistanis? I think the kind of misery that I've seen in recent times, I have not seen at least in my lifetime. So for a long time, there was this myth that uh, whatever our problems might be, at least nobody sleeps hungry in Pakistan. I'm afraid that is not true anymore. The inflation is so bad that the, the real basic food items, for example, everybody eats roti, chapati, bread in Pakistan. We mm. need flour. So there have been these long queues just to buy flour on small discounted rates. Right. Uh, there have been riots. People have been killed. And this is happening in a country which is predominantly agrarian, where the thing used to be that things are bad, but at least we can feed ourselves. People have had to take children out of their schools. Uh, people who were slightly well off, who had a car, a family car, either they've sold them and they are on motorbikes. Mm. But because of this, uh, whatever is going on politically, uh, we don't have the headspace. We don't have time uh, to talk about these issues or have like at least one serious conversation that how can we deal with some of these very basic issues. Well, how has Prime Minister Shabazz Sharif, who we should remind listeners, is the brother of ex-Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif, how has he dealt with the situation and how is his government faring? Is there a decent word for dull, kind of non-existence kind of uh, a government? So he's like, in every family, there's like a younger brother who's kind of supposed to do things that nobody else wants to do. Mm. Uh, So I think he's doing uh, doing that kind of job. He's uh, completely uh, ineffective. Everybody knows that he's there because of his brother. I mean, he's not the kind of person who inspires hope. And then on the other hand, you have Imran Khan. And I wonder if a good proportion of his appeal right now is that, well, for one, he isn't presiding over this current economic crisis. But is he offering voters, once he stopped talking about protest rallies, is he offering them ideas or solutions on how he might bring the country back from this pretty terrible brink? He was in power for four years. So if he had any ideas, he kind of hid them well. We did not see them. No, he hasn't uh, offered uh, us any concrete plans. The two words that he keeps using, is corruption, corruption, corruption. So he was there like for four years and corruption kind of increased. You came into power promising to eradicate corruption within six months. You haven't done that. Corruption perception index worsened during your rule. The problem in Pakistan is that we have what is called elite capture. The ruling elite is above law. My whole campaign is to bring the powerful crooks under the law. And why I failed, unfortunately, because the National Accountability Bureau, which deals with corruption, was not under me, was under the army chief. And uh, then he keeps saying justice, 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 right? So these are his only ideas that he has. And then he has, as we said, loads of charisma, loads of sex appeal, but you can't eat that for breakfast. It makes people feel good that, look look at our prime minister, he's the most handsome in the room. Sometimes we, when we're going through bad times, we need some of those feel-good things. Uh, but so far, that's all we have had from him. Hanif, 
Pakistan's general election is due in October, and were they to be held tomorrow, there is a broad consensus that Imran Khan would win. What can you tell me about where you expect the country will go next? I wish I knew. I have uh, no idea. I, I I think there something has to give this bloody mindedness that the army and the current government is showing that you know sort of uh, that no way they are going to let Imran Khan come back into power. Do you think uh, he'll be rearrested? They will definitely try because some people say that after the recent uh, protests that he's gone too far and he uh, will have to be restrained because as you already mentioned there are dozens and dozens of cases against him so they will find some judge who will who would like to uh, keep him in a lockup for a few days uh, but i don't think in the long term or even in short term that is going to work it will be sort of there will be more anarchy more bitterness uh, and uh, and we will kind of uh, stay stuck in this and the army who used to come in and save us from our current mess to take us into a bigger mess uh, i don't think they are in a position to do that this time and if what options do pakistanis have between dynastic political families and imran khan who presents himself as this anti-establishment hero but is criticized for being a populist demagogue is there any space in pakistan's political landscape for a viable alternative and do the people even want one there's obviously a room for different kind of political party which will kind of you know at least take us into a different uh, direction where we can talk about the issues of our bread and our schools and our our inflation uh, but at the moment uh, we just interested in this intense drama that what is imran khan going to say tomorrow or what is imran khan or what what will imran khan do tomorrow so it seems futile but it's a it's very intense and uh, since we don't know the end so we are kind of uh, riveted sadly do you think there is any possibility in the near future that the army will loosen its stronghold on pakistan they keep saying that okay we've become neutral now they just said that last year or that we made mistakes we kind of interfered in politics but now we've stopped doing that but that's the kind of promise that you kind of uh, hear from you know sort of old addicts gamblers that okay i was a bad person today but from today i'm going to be good uh even if they want to they uh, they can't because as i mentioned earlier they have like huge uh, economic interests mm. in this uh, in this country the old joke used to be that other countries have an army and pakistan army has a country <laughs> and now kind of it seems that it seems that they they seem to think that they can operate even without a country so i i, I don't know where where this will take us anif thank you so much thank you for having me that was mohammed anif author of a case of exploding mangoes and red birds and pakistani broadcast journalist yusra askari my thanks to both of them To stay up to speed with developments on this story and to find out more, do follow our reporting at theguardian.com forward slash world forward slash Pakistan. Finally, for UK listeners, if like me, you love reading The Guardian in print, then there is a subscription offer on right now that you do not want to miss. There's up to 50% off per issue. Some of you can even get it delivered to your door. Get it every day or just at the weekend. Search Guardian newspaper subscription to subscribe today. You have until Sunday the 21st of May to sign up. 
And that's it for today. I'm Noshin Iqbal, and this episode was produced by Alex Atak. Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Huma Khalili. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.